Bismillah, Alhamdulillah, Rabbil Alameen, wa salatu wa salam ala Rasul Kareem wa ala alihi wa sahbihi wa man tabi'a sunnatuhu ila yumiteen. Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh. Welcome again to another episode of your weekly Islamic discussion show, Guest of the Week, coming to you from Sharjah TV. As always, I'm your host, Ismail Buluk. And today, inshallah, we have a what I would like to call a special guest, a guest we've never had on the show. And we hope, inshallah, in the future, we will have the chance to have him on again. And that is Sheikh Dr. Tahir White. Assalamu alaikum. Wa alaikum assalam wa for coming on. Now, before we go to today's main topic, maybe you could give a very short introduction to yourself, because I think that's, for those who may not know you, uh, I think that's very, really good for the people to hear a little bit of your abbreviated story, possibly. Okay, alhamdulillah, wa salatu wa salamu ala rasulillah. I was born in Philadelphia, Pennsylvania, United States of America. Uh, accepted Islam at the age of 16 and um, then moved to Medina in 1996, Saudi Arabia, Jam Islamia. And I studied there until 2017 uh, and I got my doctorate in theology, or what they call aqidah, uh, but the focus was actually on comparative religion um, for the doctorate. And that's the abbreviated version. Obviously, there's a lot of gaps that could be filled in there. But And obviously, yeah. you also, when you were there, and I believe even now you still go back during certain seasons like Ramadan, you have uh, what they call the, I guess you could say, one of the chairs where, there's, where the... Where the Sheikhs teach, so you're doing those in the English language in the Prophet's Masjid. Right. So, in general, what when a person is appointed to teach in the Masjid of the Prophet, they are uh, assigned a chair. Um, and that's basically just so that people can see from a distance. Um, obviously, if someone is sitting on the floor and everybody else is sitting on the floor, it's kind of hard to see them. So, mm-hmm. they appoint them a chair. Um, and Alhamdulillah, that was in 2013. When I first began teaching in the Mesha of the Prophet, which is a great honor, uh, I started with the 40 hadith of Al-Imam al-Nawi, uh, and that was outside of the seasons, uh, but since I've moved um, back to the United States, uh, now I'm currently just teaching during the, the seasons, which constitute Ramadan and Hajj time. So, inshallah, if any of you are uh, over there, they can look out for you, inshallah. Yes, inshallah, yes. Now... We wanted to talk today about the importance of good character or the status of character in Islam. And even though we may have touched upon this topic in previous past episodes, this is a topic I don't think you can ever stop talking about. And obviously that will come up in today's discussion. The fact, I think it's enough that the Prophet said that the heaviest thing on the scales is good character. So that itself says that it's something that maybe we can always have a refresh, or we can always look at new angles from it. It's not something that is limited to a couple of episodes. Uh, no doubt about it. Um, along with the, the statement that you just mentioned from the Prophet, I think it's critical for us to examine, you know, what happens a lot of times with Islam is that we can get caught up into, you know, the, the more finite aspects, if you will. Um, and there are other things about Islam and the teachings of the Prophet, that are very vast, 
but they summarize the entire religion. So this is one of those things. The Prophet Isaiah taught so much about Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, about the creation, about our purpose in life and so forth. But he summed his mission up with very few words. He said, I have only been sent to perfect or to complete noble character, good behavior. Now, from the Arabic construction, right, the, the term innama, it is for al-hasr, which means that you are restricting uh, the following statement that you're making. So the Prophet ﷺ has basically restricted his entire mission to the perfection of noble and good character and good conduct. I think what's important to note about this hadith, and a lot of times uh, it may be a misconception for some people, and that is that good character simply means how you interact with other people. The, the reality is, and if we want to really understand this hadith and how it uh, you know, applies to the religion of Islam as a whole, is that character is uh, indicative of interaction, period. How do you interact? How do you carry yourself, your demeanor? Uh, and not only how you interact with other people, but what is your relationship like with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala? And, and this is the part that a lot of times people miss uh, when, they, when they look at this hadith. And this is why some of the scholars of hadith, in explaining this hadith, have mentioned that it was possible for the Prophet ﷺ to summarize his mission as good conduct because that starts with that relationship that you build with the creator of the heavens and the earth, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And so the first part of having good character is how do you think about Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala? What do you expect from him? Do you have good expectations and good assumptions about Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala? Do you believe about him properly? Uh, do you trust in him subhanahu wa ta'ala? Or the minute that something goes wrong in life, you start looking for other solutions other than you know prayer and turning back to him subhanahu wa ta'ala. So in, in other words, how is your character, how do you carry yourself how is your relationship like with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala? So is, yeah. is it fair to say then that that is the, when we're talking about this good character, that is the most essential or the kind of pinnacle of the good character, essentially, firstly, and most importantly, is the relationship with Allah, basically? No doubt about it. And, and that's going to inform the rest of your behavior. How you believe about Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is going to inform how you behave. Um, and, and so that takes us to the second part of character or good character, if you will. And that's how you deal with yourself. Uh, how do, do you take care of yourself spiritually? Do you take care of yourself even physically? That those are part of, that is part of having good character. Uh, and then the last part, which is the part that pe most people think of, or, you know, we could say comes to your mind first, and that is your relationship with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala's creation namely other human beings, but it is inclusive of other than that as well. And so this, this is what the Prophet wasalam, uh, or this is how he summed up his mission. And I, I think that, the, that this is profound if we think about it, because it is that defining that relationship 
that you have with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, how you carry yourself and how you interact with others. And that is the deen. Uh, when you look at the teachings of Islam, they can neatly fit into one of those uh, categories. And in fact, if you look at another hadith, uh, the hadith of Abi Dhar and also Mu'adh ibn Jabal, radiyallahu ta'ala anhuma, when asking the Prophet, alayhi salatu wasalam, for advice, the Prophet, sallallahu alayhi wasallam, told him three things. He said, Ittaqillah. So the Prophet ﷺ in this hadith told them to be mindful of Allah, to have taqwa of Allah, no matter where you are, which is, which is profound. And let, let's get through the hadith and then we can go back and talk about it, inshallah. And the second thing he told them was, follow up a bad deed with a good deed, it will erase it. And deal with the people with good behavior. When you interact with people, have good behavior when you interact with them. And, and this hadith, again, is profound, and it covers those three categories, right? Your taqwa of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is dealing with your belief in him, subhanahu, and, and how you interact with him, if you will. Following up a bad deed with a good deed is for you. It's, that's how you monitor your own behavior. Um, and from that, we know that al-muhasaba, which is self-examination, or what may be translated as taking account of yourself, is very important. Because that's when you realize, I've done something that, that, that isn't good. I need to repent. I need to turn back to Allah. I need to follow this up with a good deed. And so that, that's... That itself mm. is... Uh like a form of like, ibadah. Yeah, if you, and you're like you're refining your character at the same time. Absolutely. You? If you could recognize the mistake and re- seek in repentance, that's a way of uh, trying to make your character better. Correct. And again, this is how you're dealing with yourself, if you will. And then the last part of the hadith is hasan and deal with the people in a good way. Um, so th- this ha- this hadith complements the the other hadith, which is that I have been sent to perfect. Uh, noble conduct. Uh, if we look at that that aspect of taqwa, uh, and the first part of this this will see you or this first part of advice from the Prophet وسلم, which is to uh, be mindful of Allah Subhanahu wa Taala at all times, no matter where you are. It's very important advice, and the Prophet وسلم, did not speak from his own desires, nor did he say things. Um, you know, without meaning. Wherever you may be is important because there are people who in certain circumstances, they may be generally good. They may be, you know, conscious of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and mindful. And then the minute that they travel, it's almost like Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is only at home. You know, when I'm on the road, it's a totally different ball game. And that's, it's important that we don't, allow that to become part of who we are, that we fear Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala in all circumstances, not just in the masjid, but wherever you may be. That kind of brings to mind, maybe you can remember the exact wording of the hadith, it slips my mind right now, but it reminds me of, of that hadith that talks about the person who has mountains of good deeds, and then, uh, but they become like dust because when he is alone, he crosses the boundaries of Allah. 
Uh, Naam. So that, that hadith, the Prophet wasallam said that from your ikhwan, from your brothers, um, there are those who have deeds like the mountains of Tihama. Nah. Uh, but they will, but they will be uh, like scattered dust. And they said, and, and what is that from the Prophet wasallam said that they uh, went alone. They violate the, the laws of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Um, and so this is this is again, this is like the person who when he's in front of his brothers or when mm-hmm. she's with her, you know, sisters in Islam and things like that, that there's a certain type of behavior and demeanor. But when they're alone, subhanAllah, yani, they, they turn into somebody else. Uh, th- this hadith, again, is, is, a, is a tremendous hadith. Uh, there's so many benefits that we can take from it. Uh, when you look at also that aspect of dealing with people in a good manner. Those who have the most right to your husnul uh, khuluq, if you will, or your good conduct uh, after your parents are those who are closest to you. The people in your home, your, your spouse, your children. And a lot of times, again, this is something that too often, too often, this is where we fall short. Um, you know, we can put on a front when we're at work. You know, you can maintain a certain posture. Uh, you're not at the masjid that long. You can maintain a certain posture, but for some reason, you know, people lose it. Um, become like a Jekyll and Hyde. Uh, exactly, <laughs> exactly. So people lose it in the house for some reason, you know. And this is the, these are the people that deserve that deserve your best. They deserve your best. I mean, they they say, don't they? I mean, this, uh, I've heard the scholar saying before: if you really want to know what your character is like, then how are you with your family? How are you? That's with the your reality. F- you know, uh, which takes us to a totally different topic, um, and then hopefully we can get back to uh, get back on track. But I think this is important. Go ahead. Yeah, before you go for that topic, we'll just take a short break. Inshallah, join us after this short break. Assalamu alaikum and uh, welcome back. Sheikh Taha, just before the break, we mentioned... Uh, that the scholars have said, if you really want to judge yourself, I guess, or get an idea of how you are really, character-wise, then you should see how you are at home. Because you mentioned there's so many people who put on a front, as you say, mm. and when they go home, they're the most aggressive, most abusive, most rude person. Right. So this is, a, this is a big issue. Yeah, it, it is. And uh, it, it takes us to another topic, and that is the importance of the marriage of our Prophet, alayhi salatu wasalam to Aisha radiallahu ta'ala anha, which as we know um, in, in recent years has become a big topic of debate and big discussion, uh, even though it wasn't an issue you know, prior to, to modern times. But, but the interesting thing about that marriage is that it is through that marriage that we know who the Prophet wasalam, was in his home. Uh, there were no other wives of the Prophet والسلام, that narrated close to what Aisha radiallahu ta'ala anha was able to narrate about the uh, the character of the Prophet والسلام, in his home and how he behaved in his home. And so we see that, and, and this is like no other historical figure, subhanAllah. Uh, we know who the Prophet والسلام, was in the masjid. We knew who he was when he was with the Muslims in general, when he was out and about. And all of that is possible, again, for a person to maintain a certain posture in front of people. 
But who was he, sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, in his home? He was gentle. He was kind. He would pray at night when nobody else was watching. When he had the ability, if he was, if he was an imposter, why would he pray at night until his feet would swell? As Aisha radiallahu ta'ala and said. And then she would ask him, O Messenger of Allah, you're praying like this until your feet swell. And you have been forgiven of your previous sins and that which is to come or your previous mistakes and that which is to come. And the Prophet would say to her, Should I not be a grateful servant to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala? I mean, who does that? Who, who, who does that except for one who is truly trying to please their creator? And, and so we see this man's character, sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, uh, in a manner, and we benefit that we, you know, from the the marriage of the Prophet sallallahu to Aisha radiallahu anha. And I think if you probably look at it in many historical leaders or influential figures throughout history, a lot of the time, like you said, they were very good, for example, on the battlefield, or they were very good as politicians, or they were very good as leaders. But you, if we have much information about their family life, it tends to be negative things, how he was abusive to his wife. Or right, right. And, and the interesting thing is, like you just said, if you even have that information, for, for so many of those figures, you don't even have the information. But Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala promised that he would preserve the revelation. Indeed, we have sent down the remembrance, revelation as a whole, and we will preserve it. And part of revelation is that life time or, or how the Prophet ﷺ spent his life, the things that he said, the things that he did, all of that is part of revelation and that was preserved. Nah. So you mentioned that, that, that initially, that hadith of fearing Allah where, wherever, you, wherever you are. I guess maybe we could take some tips, that being the ultimate, the most important part of the character is that taqwa of Allah. Maybe we could take some tips on ways i guess i guess that could be a whole episode but there'll be just a few tips for this part of the show on how can one try and attain this taqwa and try and keep this taqwa well i i think that there are two major things since you said like as you alluded to it could be its its own show or a series of shows if you will i think that there are two uh major things that that we can look at and hopefully those will be things that somebody can actually grasp onto and and become more of a muttaqi, if you will, one who has taqwa. The the first of those things, this is a broad categories by the way, is to grow in knowledge of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And that is one of the main objectives of the Quran itself. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala sent down the Quran as revelation, and revelation means to reveal something, to remove uh, ambiguity. So Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is revealing himself to the creation. He is telling the creation who he is. And the more you have knowledge of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, the more you will fear him, the more you will be conscious of him, the more you will hope in him subhanahu wa ta'ala, the more you will put your trust in him, the more you will love him subhanahu wa ta'ala. And this is part of the, or one of the main objectives of, of the Quran itself. So this is why if you read the Quran, it will be very difficult for you to go just a few ayat without seeing Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala saying about himself, Indeed, he is the one who is all knowledgeable and all wise. 
He is a raqibun alaykum, right? Raqib means what? That he's a watcher over you, subhanahu wa ta'ala. That he is barrun rahim. That he is the one who is benevolent and beneficent, subhanahu wa ta'ala. The more you have knowledge of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, the more he will be on your mind, which is part of taqwa. The more you will put between yourself and between Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala a, a barrier or between you and his punishment, uh, a barrier, which, which is the asal, if you will, or the root of, of that word taqwa. And so this part is very important. A Muslim has to grow in knowledge of the names and attributes of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. That alone will create a type of consciousness that will cause you and push you to obey Allah out of love for him. And uh, as some of the um, scholars say, when talking about your own children and, and the nurturing of your children, for them to obey you because they love you, it's better for them to obey you because they fear you. Right. And even when you see Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala uh, talks about himself, the majority of what Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala mentions are attributes that would cause us to love him. And so every surah except for Tawbah starts off with Bismillah ar-Rahman ar-Rahim. Mm. When he starts... Uh, the, 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 the first thing that we read and what we read in every salah, Alhamdulillahi Rabbil Alameen. Ar-Rabb is the nurturer, the, 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 the one whom you, you these, these are attributes that cause you to love him, subhanahu wa ta'ala. I mean, just mentioning the Rabb, and even if you, if you think about that, because we know obviously Allah is the Rabb of, of, ev- of everything. Yes. But us as Muslims, we have that special kind of tarbiyah from Allah that he has chosen us and given us hidayah. Right. So we should be even, that should be, create even more of a love and a gratitude. No doubt. I mean, when you, you, you look at the da'wah of the NBA, their they, petitioning of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala in the Qur'an and their supplication to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala in the Qur'an, it all starts off with Rabbi, Rabbana, Rabbi, Rabbana, because they are noticing or, or they are calling to attention that special nurturing that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala uh, has done for the believers. The, the point is what? That Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala uh, uh, is revealing himself to us so that we love him subhanahu wa ta'ala. And we're going to obey him because of that love that we have for him subhanahu wa ta'ala. And he also informs us of his attributes that will cause us to revere him and to hold him in esteem. Again, this is part of taqwa. So that's that's number one uh, is growing in knowledge of who Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is through his revelation, not something that we make up or not some type of philosophy, but he has revealed who he is, subhanahu wa ta'ala. The, the second thing that causes a Muslim to grow in taqwa is righteous deeds. And a person pushing himself, you know, to do those things that are going to be pleasing to Allah, subhanahu wa ta'ala, from prayer, giving your zakat like you're supposed to, fasting. And in fact, fasting is one of those things that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala specifically mentions in the Quran will help a person gain taqwa. Oh, you who believe fasting has been prescribed for you just, that it, just as it has been prescribed for those who came before you so that you can achieve taqwa. 
And so it is, you know, that pushing oneself to increase in the worship of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala that helps one grow in taqwa. Nah. Now, we mentioned uh, the, 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 the good deeds wipe out the bad deeds. Right. So maybe there's some viewers out there, they want to get a bit of an understanding on how that works. For example, somebody, for example, they may say, does that mean if I've committed a major sin mm. and I do a good deed, that it will wipe it out? Or is there something extra I need to do in those kind of sins that they may have fallen into? Right. So as, as the scholars mentioned, uh, when speaking about good deeds, one of the best good deeds is Toba. That is what we often translate as repentance. Toba, however, is a lot deeper than uh, what we often think of when we say repentance. So Toba means to turn around or to turn towards. And so when you when you perform or when you perform Toba, what you are doing is you are turning to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. When you turn to Allah, you're turning your back on everything else. You're turning your back on those things that are displeasing to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and you are turning towards those things which do please Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And so this is one of the best good deeds that a person can actually perform. And if a person does in fact make tawbah, then it will erase the sin, no matter how great that sin is, even if it is a major sin. If a person repents from that, does actual toba from that major sin, then Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala accepts that toba from them. Uh, there are other um, sins that a person may commit that are not major uh, sins in, in comparison. And we should never take any sins lightly. But in comparison, they're not considered to be major sins. Those sins are obliterated by the good deeds that a person does. So our Prophet said, that the five daily prayers and from one Jumu'ah prayer to a next and from Ramadan to Ramadan are expiation for the sins that were committed in between them as long as one avoids major sins. Now, so this again is, is part of character. And this helps a person to refine their character. And a lot of times the sins that a person commits are actually sins that relate to the rights of other people. And, and so when a person, for example, backbiting, uh, you know, uh, spreading rumors, uh, you know, taking someone's uh, wealth without their permission. All of these are are sins. They're, they're sinful, but they relate to other to the rights of other people. When you make toba for those and you you know fix the situation, that is part of uh, refining your character. Something that um, you said earlier when we said we shouldn't focus too much on whether these sins are small or minor reminds me of the 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 statement of the scholars where they say like don't look at the size of the sin look at the the one who you're disobeying disobeying. correct so i think if we were to try and our best to implement that then that that's a that's a really good kind of policy to implement in our life that is the policy And, and that is that that you you grow so much in your consciousness of allah subhanahu wa ta'ala that you don't want to disobey him 
you know that he's watching you. You know that he's listening to you. You know that that there's not a place that you can disobey him, subhanahu wa ta'ala, except that he is the owner of that place. He is al-malik, subhanahu wa ta'ala, which means the owner. Nah. I'll just hold you on that point, inshallah. Please join us for the last part of the show after this short break. Assalamu alaikum and uh, welcome back. Now, Sheikh Tahir, mashallah, we've had a, uh, an introduction in regards to the hadith on and a, a bit of a comprehensive introduction on taqwa. And we've mentioned a bit about the importance of doing the good deeds and making tawbah from the major sins. And then from the, for if, like we said, if we can call them that even, the smaller sins can be wiped out by the good deeds, such as the prayer, such as other good deeds you may, that one may perform. Now, for the last part of the hadith, that you mentioned is and to ha- to face the people or to interact with the people with the with the best of character or with good right, character right. so maybe for this last part of the show in the next 12 or 13 minutes maybe we can go through briefly again because this could probably take many episodes on the different or the most important i guess or the most common categories of people that we may interact with on a daily basis right, right. and the kind of rights they have upon us and the way we should be acting with them right maybe from importance level first i guess Okay. Well, obviously, the most important, um, and that is the that, uh, based on what Allah Subhanahu wa Taala has said in the Quran, the most important uh, people that you will interact with are your parents. Um, so Allah Subhanahu wa Taala says to worship Allah alone. Do not associate any partners with Him in that worship. And treat your parents well. Treat them kindly. Treat them with ihsan, which which can loosely be translated as benevolence. To always want good for them, right? Um, so so the relationship that one has uh, with his or her parents is absolutely essential to give it your all. It's it's not enough to just be okay with your parents. We have to push ourselves. I mean, for those of us who have parents that are still alive, we have to do our best to really show them that we care about them, that we love them, that we put their comfort above our our own comfort. Uh, And this doesn't matter, um, you know, what religion your parents are even. Uh, even if they're not Muslims, even if they're trying to get you to worship something other than Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, which we know is the greatest sin, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, but be their companions in this life in goodness. Um, and when a man came to the Prophet and said, who is the one that has the most right to my good uh, companionship? The Prophet said, your mother. And the man asked him again. He said, your mother. The man asked him again. He said, your mother. And then the last time the Prophet said, then your father. So what we see from this is that the there is nobody else. There is no one who has the right of the mother in terms of human beings in Islam. Nobody has the right like the mother. And then it is the father. And so the relationship that a person uh, should strive to maintain uh, with their parents is is one of good companionship, and always showing them that that you know he 
or she wants the best for them. You reminded me, um, I believe it was Umar that a man had carried his mother for the Hajj pilgrimage. And he came to, came to him and said to him, have I repaid her back now? Allah. And he said, you, uh, if, if I can recall correctly, you haven't even, what we would call, you haven't even paid her back for like one of her labor pains. Yeah, yeah. So that, I mean, that's really a, yeah, a smack yeah, in the face for a lot of us, I yeah, think. Yeah, it's, it's, a, it's, a living, it's a living example of what it really means to, and, and as the Prophet Isaiah Salatah was Saddam said, that, that one of you will not be able to pay back, uh, to repay, you know, uh, his parents uh, for what they have done for them, unless, unless you find that your father is enslaved and you are able to purchase his freedom. And o- only at that point, subhanAllah, and if, if you really think about what that means, that means that there was, there was a man who was owned by another man, and then you were able to free him from that, from, the, from that bondage, only then would you be, would you be, uh, you know, considered to have, you know, repaid him. And we, you know, none of us have that that, that ability. Along uh, with Uh After that, and and let's let's I don't in order to avoid order, um, you know, you know, of preference, just some of the other people uh, that do have, definitely have uh, rights over us, our spouses, and the Prophet Saddam gave us a, a golden rule if you will, and dealing with people in general. And that is, None of you believes. And I know we usually translate it as truly believe. But the Prophet said, none of you believes. Until he loves for his brother, what he loves for himself. Now, uh, this is often called the golden rule or the ethics of reciprocity. Uh, but it's a little different. And that's because what other people say is do unto others as you would have done unto you. The Prophet went way beyond what you actually do. And he went to the crux of the matter, which is the heart. Love for them what you love for yourself. You may do things that you don't really even like doing, but you do it because you want, you know, you want them to pay you back like that. No, this is deeper that you're actually supposed to love for that person. You know, what you love for yourself. And, and again, you know, beyond the parents, this is about everybody who you interact with. Your wife is your sister in Islam. If you're a woman, then your husband is your brother in Islam. Right. You should love for them with what you love for yourself. Uh, when it comes to uh, dealing with our spouses, the Prophet Wasallam said, La yafraq mu'minu mu'mina idha kariha minha khuluqa. That a believing man should not hate a believing woman. He shouldn't despise her. If there's a quality that he doesn't like about her, there's something else that he does. In other words, learn how to overlook your spouse's fault. You know, this is important because you're not going to be able to have a decent relationship with your spouse if you nitpick. You know, no. If I recall correctly, uh, Umar, I think his wife some stage in their marriage had become very verbal towards him to say mm. to say to say the least and he was asked like how are you able to take, stomach that yeah take, how can take, you stomach take this it? from her yeah, yeah. and I, I believe he replied along the, along the lines of you know all these years she's fed me and washed my clothes and taken care of me right. so this is nothing in comparison i can i can take it in so, so ibn abbas uh, radiallahu ta'ala anhu 
he used to say, I don't ask my wife for all of uh, my rights so that she doesn't ask me for all of all of her rights. I mean, the reality is, is that the 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 spouse has a very high status in Islam and it is very difficult to fulfill all of those rights. And so we look for the general, uh, uh, you know, we look for what is general in this sense, which is وَعَشِرُهُنَّ بِالْمَعْرُوفِ As Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, and live with them in goodness. Yani, so we try to treat them properly. Our children have the right that we nurture them, that we feed them, that we clothe them, that we provide for them shelter, that we provide for them the education that is necessary for them to become Number one, good servants of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And number two, people of good character. And that they are able to function in society and benefit the society as a whole. These are, these are obligations that parents uh, have. And th- these are the responsibilities of uh, parents and the, and the rights that the children have over their parents. When we look at our neighbors, our neighbors have rights over us. The, 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 the Prophet ﷺ said, Wallahi la yu'min. By Allah, he doesn't believe. By Allah, he doesn't believe. By Allah, he doesn't believe. They said, who, O Messenger of Allah? He said, the one whose jar, uh, the one whose neighbor is not safe from his harm. That is the very least that a person can do, is not bring harm to his or her neighbor. Where the opposite is what we really should be striving to, which is whoever believes in Allah in the last day, then let him honor, you know, his neighbor. So these are these are just some of the people that we come in, you know, contact with on a regular basis and how we should behave ourselves. The Prophet said smiling in the face of your brother is, is sadaqah. You know, we should be people who smile, not people who walk around with a frown on our face all the time uh, to Look at some of the things that we can do to help improve our character. And we talked about some of the things that we can do to uh, help, you know, grow in taqwa, which will help us with our character. But one of the things that is often neglected is to remember to ask Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to give us good character. And the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam uh, used to make this the following dua. He would say, Allahumma hdini li ahsan al akhlaq, la yahdi li ahsaniha illa ant, wasrif anni sayyiaha, la yasrifu anni sayyiaha illa ant. And this is part of a longer dua uh, that was narrated by Ali ibn Abi Talib radiallahu ta'ala anhu in Sahih Muslim. And so here the Prophet is saying, Oh Allah, guide me to the best of character. There's none that guides to the best character except for you. In other words, we're, we're hopeless. We're powerless without Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala's aid. So we call upon him and we ask him to guide us to the best of character. Take away from me evil character. There's no one that is going to take this evil character away from me except for you. So sometimes people have bad character. Sometimes people may, you know, uh, for example, be aggressive, hostile. Uh, sometimes people may have quick tempers. That's just how they are. But if they make dua to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, then Allah will remove that from them. Subhanallah, actually, when you hear these duas, 
it's amazing because of course these to us the prophet said these also to teach us but he was also saying them sincerely himself, himself right and we know that allah refers mm. to him in the quran of being of the most noble or greatest of character right so that really makes us say to ourselves how much more in need are we to make this dua exactly and just to emphasize that point if the prophet himself is making these dua then we also need to be the first of those who strive to make these dua and another dua also and it's it's directly related to this um uh, subject matter that we're dealing with, which is one of character and how you interact with yourself, right? Is the dua that the Prophet taught Abu Bakr as Siddiq, radiallahu ta'ala anhu. Abu Bakr as Siddiq, uh, as we know, is the best of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala's creation after the Prophets. He was the best man to walk the, the earth after the Prophets and Messengers. He went to the Prophet and said, Teach me a dua that I can make in Salat. The Prophet said, make this following dua. Allahumma inni dhalamtu nafsi dhulman kathira. Oh Allah, I have greatly wronged myself. This is Abu Bakr al-Siddiq. The Prophet was teaching him to make this dua. Oh Allah, I have greatly wronged myself. And there is none that forgives sins except for you. So forgive me a forgiveness that comes from you and have mercy on me. Indeed, you are the off-forgiving, the merciful. You know, if we look back at that concept of character uh, being your relationship with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, your relationship with yourself, and then your relationship with other people, this comes under that category of how you interact with yourself, recognizing that you have wronged yourself and then asking Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to forgive you for those sins. And this is something that can be said in every salat. We've literally come to the end of the show. Jazakallah khair for coming on. Barakallahu feek. And uh, may Allah reward you all for tuning in. And inshallah we can take this away and try to refine our character with what we've heard today for all of us inshallah. And until next time, I leave you as always with the greetings of Islam, the greetings of peace. Wassalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh.